Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Patrick. And welcome to Cave to the Cross Apologetics. We are beginning a brand new book, right? We've right. Uh, kind of gave a uh, brief kind of overview of what was going on uh, just by looking at the preface to the book. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to begin the deep dive into the book, and we're going to look at the first chapter. The book is What About Evil? A Defense of God's Sovereign Glory by uh, Scott Christensen. And uh, we've interviewed Christensen before, and, and so, uh, we, you know, um, and, and so this is a uh, his second book on a uh, what about, right? Yeah. His first one was what about free will, right? <laughs> and so this one is what about evil? He wants to kind of pick up some of the things that he didn't cover in that first book, right? Mm -hmm. He's uh, he's a master's grad and he's a pastor. So he's a pastor in Kerrville, Texas at a Bible church in Kerrville, Texas. Yeah, I think Texas, we met him when right? he was in Colorado and then he moved to Texas because yeah. you know, he... everybody is, right? Yeah, well, I think he hiked all the mountains because <laughs> yeah. I know he's, he's, he's a hiker with his kids. So yeah, uh, yeah. Um, um, you know, Colorado just has a few mountains. Here. <laughs> <laughs> so what about evil? So this, in this first chapter, he's going to look at, he's going to uh, look at the, the problem of evil mm -hmm. and he's going to really give us a summary of the whole book, right? In this first chapter. So this is really helpful. And as you have mentioned uh, before, he, he, uh, he jumps right in and tells us uh, the answer right at right up front. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And we should say too, that, uh, this shares just the common title. It, it, you don't have to read What About Free Will. He, he does allude to it in the preface by saying that he could have covered certain aspects of this book mm -hmm. in there, and he, and he does, uh, but uh, this one will flesh out more. So you don't have to read that first one uh, to, right. to to start. So yeah. d don't feel like you're missing out on anything. Yeah. Although do get the book, and it's great. So. <laughs> yeah, it is good, yeah. So he says there's darkness in this world that is uh, inevitably presses hard on us all, leaving an indelible mark of pain and suffering. And then he quotes Job uh, chapter 30, uh, verse 26, mm -hmm. who has ever walked this earth and not cried out, when I hoped for good, evil came, and when I waited for light, darkness came. Right, and so he says there's a, a penetrating set of questions then that emerge as a result of this situation that we find ourselves in. Right, uh, when these types of things happen to us, where is God? Could He not protect us from whatever this issue is? And you know, why doesn't He intervene? Those types of right. things, right? Yeah, and that's something that the Bible kind of uh, um, addresses. It, it, it's it's not, uh, 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 you know, oh, uh, the pain and suffering is just an illusion. You don't really experience it, uh, and you kind of try and work your way to a, a, a higher standard of consciousness to, to get away from the, the pain that you're, you're not supposed to be experiencing, uh, e even though they, they teach on it. Um, and, and it's not uh, like pain is, is, is just this Pandora's box where, uh, you know, it's it's kind of this uh, mythology of of it, it where, where it came from. There's there's no clue, and then all of a sudden it, it bursts forth. There there's an origin story to it. There's a reason for why it is, and also uh, it's it's addressed within scripture. And so that's that's part of the thing that he's talking about is here's here's in his book is he's addressing the theology uh, behind it. What what is the biblical basis for? Yeah. So he goes on to ask the question, well, the, what is the question of the, the theodicy? And so how can a, uh, the good and almighty God allow evil to coexist in the created order he crafted with such singular beauty? What has become of his good creation? So right. that's kind of the, the theodicy. The, yeah. right. So the theodicy is basically an explanation or a def, uh, 
uh, of why God allows evil. We attempt to give reasons why we believe that God allows evil, right? So it's more than just a, you know, there's, and he's going to talk briefly about this, but there's a distinction between uh, you know, this defense of, of the problem of evil, which is most of, most of the philo- uh, philosophers deal with that. Mm-hmm. But then a theodicy is not just a defense that says that God and evil can both exist, coexist, but it's a, an attempt to explain why God allows evil. That's the idea of what a theodicy right. is. Right. Or does, does evil just pop up and God says, oh no, what do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. So uh, uh, he asks the further question, why has he, God, allowed evil to corrupt the broad landscape of our planet, its habitants, everything in creation is touched by this, uh, it's affected by sin and, and uh, the the decay and heat death of the universe is, <laughs> is all mixed, mixed in there. So, right. uh, d- you know, animal, uh, animals killing animals, uh, humans having war. I mean, he, he lists a, a, a countless numbers of just genocidal, uh, uh, um, events within the scope of the last 2000 years, let alone, you know, all of human history. Right. And so that is the question of theodicy. Right. Why has he allowed evil? Right. That's the question mm-hmm. that a theodicy attempts to answer. Right. Right. The question is, how does one seek to justify a good answer and sovereign God in the face of evil? Mm-hmm. What is our apologetic? What is our defense, our giving an account for why uh, there's a good sovereign God, but also evil in the world? Yeah. So he says uh, the uh, the problem of theodicy in its more formal articulation goes back to the Greek philosopher Epicurus, right? This is in uh, around 300 BC, mm-hmm. and so it forms a uh, what he calls a trilemma. So it juxtaposes the following notions with one another: number one, God is good; number two, God is powerful. And number three, yet evil exists, Mm -hmm. right? So how in the world do you put all of that together, right? Putting one or both of the first two points, he says, under suspicion, (laughs) right? The idea here is God is evil and God is powerful. Well, then what's this deal about evil? Now, he says that Epicurus's uh, concerns with God and evil were uh, succinctly restated by the 18th century Scottish philosopher, our good friend David Hume. Good old Hume. Yeah, right. (laughs) He was pretty intelligent, so he can't say anything bad about it. That's right. And so Hume (laughs) Hume asked a a set of similar questions that uh, Epicurus deals with. Hume says... Uh, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he is uh, impotent, mm-hmm. right? Is he able but not willing? Then he is malevolent, right? Is he both able and willing? From whence then is evil? Right. So those are the questions that Hume asked right. with regard to it, right? So God, you know, is, is, is he willing to do it but he's not able? Then he does, he's not all powerful, right? And if he's able but he's not willing, then he's not a good God, right? right? And but if he's able uh, and willing, then why do we have evil? Mm-hmm. That's the point that Hume is trying to make here, right? right? So I'm just going to deny that evil exists and that nothing <laughs> bad happens. And there, it's it's solved the problem. It's it's kind of like dealing with inerrancy. If I don't have to defend inerrancy, then we're all good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah. It's, it's it makes that, it uh, easy, but it's not satisfying. Yeah. yeah. You, 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 you don't believe that the uh, world is real, but then you look both ways across, across the street. <laughs> so uh, the historical Orthodox Christianity 
has uh, affirmed these two indisputable indisputable characteristics of God and many more. But uh, these are the two that we're going to focus on. His all-encompassing goodness and his sovereign power. Again, this is different than saying that that God is able to do anything. Well, can God lift a rock uh, so heavy that, you know, that uh, he himself could make it or uh, vice versa, you know? Uh, And so it's like... No, that's not the definition of God. It's never been the definition of God that God can do anything. It's kind of something that we say in in maybe a quick mention or we tell our our kids that, like, oh, God can do anything. Uh, But, you know, we're not. With our kids who are, you know, five years old, we're not trying to say, well, except under these certain conditions, he can't make a... Uh, you know, uh, uh, he can't lie. He can't make a, a square he circle. He can't violate his moral standards, <laughs> right? right? That so, sort of yes, thing, there yeah. are certain things that God cannot do, okay? So uh, that, that's why um, um, he, he puts these all-encompassing goodness and his sovereign power. Although the existence of pain and evil in the world places these two overarching attributes of God under the microscope of human scrutiny, they are not the only divine attributes to suffer the skeptical eye of his creatures. For example, the existence of evil places God's justice on the witness stand. It seems that any evil that God refuses to prevent exposes his injustice. You let rape occur. You let murder occur. You let me stub my big toe when I, I didn't really mean to, uh, you know, you and let, I haven't done anything wrong. Right. So, yeah. So the idea here is all of these things yeah, yeah. are unjust, right? Why is God allowing injustice? Is he a just God? Right. right? And so the problem of evil kind of raises this as an issue mm-hmm. with regard to, uh, one of his divine attributes, right? right? Or maybe the problem lies in his faulty omniscience. Mm. God fails to see bad stuff coming down the pike. He looks down the quarters of time and he, he, well, he cares about the individual, but uh, you know, more about their salvation only, not so much about, you know, uh, if they happen to get murdered along the way. Yeah. So does God know everything, right? Or does this stuff kind of catch him by surprise, Mm -hmm. right? And so all of a sudden, boom, bad stuff happens. And now God is trying to figure out, okay, what do I do now? Kind of thing, right? So this calls into question his, uh, his omniscience, his ability to, or his characteristics of knowing all things, Mm -hmm. right? And so he says, evil, evil certainly tempts God's creatures to, you know, impugn his character. And so this is, uh, indeed a serious problem, right? We've looked at his goodness. We've looked at his power. We've looked at his justice. We've looked at his omniscience. So all of these things, you know, kind of evil brings these things into question, right? And so he says, one can easily understand how the problem of evil has become the Achilles heel of Christian apologetics. While some Christian apologists have been moved to redefine or tweak the attributes of God, right? right, So that they can get around the the problem, right? (laughs) Uh, You know, the attributes of the God of the classic biblical theism. He says that this is one thing that uh, cannot bear the burden of the problem, right? To toy with the clear revelation of God's character when attempting a theodicy, he says, is to admit failure, right? So we have a God who has revealed himself in scripture and uh, just because we have this issue with regard to evil, what he's suggesting here is we don't tr- attempt to try to change who God is, how he's revealed himself in order to solve this problem of evil. Right. right? And he says some folks have uh, uh, done that. Right? Mm-hmm. They've kind of tweaked God's character and so that now they have a solution to evil, but then they don't have a biblical God. Right. right? And, and so the, uh, we've talked about this before is uh, the Christian worldview is uh, or the, the, the Christian story is a worldview. It's a complete worldview and you can't take pieces out. And so the, the good thing about the problem of evil is it includes so many characteristics of God. 
the also great thing is that there are attributes of God that we can focus on. And sometimes it's uh, our outside ideas that come in the way and we uh, kind of impugn the character. That's where we want to do the tweaking because there are other presuppositions. There are other ideas that we have of of how the world is like uh, that we may not derive biblically, but we really want them to be true sometimes. (laughs) So that's what he's going to come. Yeah. And of course that's making God in our own image, which is creating an idol, (laughs) which I I think the Bible talks about a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, he goes into mapping the theodicies, and he covers here uh, uh, six different ones. Um, and uh, uh, this is on page five, so uh, this is a good uh, in in the hardcover book. So it's a, g- a good page to to mark. Yeah, and, he- and so this this section, I really enjoy these types of things because he gives us a succinct, you yes. know, uh, description of each of these attempts to uh, to respond to the problem of evil, right. right? And so it's kind of a great overview of all the things that have that have come about with regard to this, this particular issue, right? right? Here's, here's one solution. Here's another solution. Here's another solution. And he kind of gives us this succinct summary of each of these solutions. Mm-hmm. Right. And then of course he, at the end, kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he tells you the answer. He, yeah. He tells us which answers. one his, he's yeah. going to deal with. Yeah. Right. And that's on page six. So, uh, Within the span of uh, uh, two pages, you've got the book. <laughs> so he, he says, uh, the following represents some of the more common responses to the problem of evil. And this first one is uh, kind of one that I've alluded to, the free will defense. is probably one of the most pervasive ones. Uh, and he goes on to say, this is the most uh, prevalent response to the problem of evil. Free will is regarded as a cherished feature with our humanity, without which we could not be responsible for our actions. She's kind of covered a little bit in the yeah. previous book. Furthermore, without free will, we would uh, be consigned to a cold and robotic existence. But this means that our freedom of choice results in both good and evil outcomes. And uh, this is the one that I learned. This, yeah. this is my pithy response. Free well, will, free defense. will. Yeah. There you yeah. go. You just say free will. You, you move that's on a, to the a, resurrection. It's, it's a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so evil is usually regarded as a risk that God uh, had to allow in order to grant humans uh, significant freedom and responsibility. So if you hear kind of uh, the middle knowledge of God or uh, um, kind of uh, this open theism uh, uh, floated out there, God looking down the corridors of time, uh, God having to... to um, uh, de- uh, handle or play the cards that um, uh, that were that he was dealt. We deal him because of our yeah. free will, and right? Something yeah. out there has dealt the cards <laughs> that he must have to, even though he's created everything. Um, so uh, I'm uh, exacerbating the issue, yeah, but, but, but that, that's uh, that's the, the the coverage is that um, you know we have a free will. We're able to make free. Uh, choices independent of ourselves, and uh, as a result, I can. Uh, uh, punch a person or I can give them a hug. So that's up to me. Uh, God can't influence that. If not, it wouldn't be a free choice. And obviously I know that I have free will. Right. So the free will here, the free will defense then says that evil exists because we have free will and we can do evil things. Mm -hmm. Right. And God doesn't want us to be robots. And so he allows us to have free will and do these evil things. Uh, the next one, so this is the next kind of defense of uh, the problem of evil. He calls it uh, the natural law defense, right? And so here he says God, uh, the idea here is that God has designed uh, orderly, repeatable, predictable laws uh, to govern the world. 
And, uh, you know, there's good and bad consequences can result from the proper or improper use of these laws, right? So if I jump off the building, the law of gravity, right, is going to make a uh, problem for me, right? right? <laughs> gravity, you know, has stabilized our world, but it can be utilized in destructive ways, right? If I push somebody else off the building, right, <laughs> the law of gravity will take an effect. Mm. And so uh, it's not God's fault when I push someone off the building and therefore misuse one of the laws that he's created, right? So that's called the natural law defense. It's our misuse of a natural law that God has, has created that causes evil. Right. Right. If Ayn Rand was a Christian or a, a theist, then probably this would be the one that she'd harp on a lot. <laughs> uh, the third one is called the greater good theodicy. God has multiple good purposes for evil in the world. Out of such evils common, uh, come greater goods that could not otherwise come. These goods outweigh the evil that they overcome. Some good purposes are ascertainable and some are not. So, so some we can come to know and go, oh, okay, well, if, if I didn't, uh, uh, if I wasn't homeless for this period of time, then I wouldn't have met this other person that I grew a, a giant business that I helped to stamp out homelessness in wow. my community. Wow. So yeah. it was good because I went through hardship or it was bad that I went through hardship, but it was also good in the long run because I uh, uh, made contacts. I understood uh, the, the needs and experiences and ultimately uh, what we could all come to see as a, a, a common good for all mankind. Right. A greater good came out of yeah, it. Right? A greater good. Yeah. So the fact that uh, some purposes remain hidden uh, does not sound arg- ar- ar- to sound not soundly argue against their existence. So right. uh, why why was this person uh, struck by a car and uh, the the right side of their body was was uh, um, paralyzed and they had a promising Olympic career, uh, but unfortunately that didn't happen and uh, they ended up dying within six months. Well, I don't know what the, the purpose of that is. Well, maybe God can see the six-year-old that sees that story and from there uh, enters into the medical field right. to then, uh, um, you know, c- uh, carry out experiments that lead to uh, spinal surgeries that can help uh people that were in that experience walk again. Right. So, so the, the point here is that just because we don't see the purpose of whatever the, the event is or whatever the thing is, doesn't mean that there isn't one. Right. And so that our, abil- our inability to see the purpose doesn't defeat the greater good theodicy, mm-hmm. right, is what he's trying to say here. And, and sometimes people that use this uh, run into kind of the, um, the, the, the issue of ha- having to come up with a theory on the spot for every uh, unknown uh, good, uh, for every known evil. Right. So, and he's uh, saying we yeah. don't have to do that right. with this one. Right. right. The, yeah. the, the the rape of Nanking. The 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 Japanese go in and slaughter Nanking. The, the the Chinese population. What good came about that? I don't know. I couldn't even make one up yeah. on the spot. And you just bring that up to me like you know what what happened and what <laughs> couldn't have happened and what was the result of everything. It's it's one of those things where it's it's counterfactuals within any conversation is really hard. Well, what happens if we didn't mask up or what would happen if, if I, I went left instead of right when I could, it was equal both ways. The, the GPS told me to go left and I decided, no, I've been here before go right. And something happened or something didn't happen. You know, you, you're, you're, I, I walked this, this path every day for six years. Uh, I didn't do it th- today cause I stopped to tie my shoe and the person in front of me found the million dollar ticket that I, I could have. <laughs> well, yeah. what if, you know? Yeah. So it, the, the, the counterfactuals are always very hard 
in any conversation. And for you to have an answer for that is, is, is always a, a difficult spot. So uh, maybe that's one of the issues with this one. Sorry. So the greater good theology then <laughs> says that God has multiple purposes for evil in the world, even though we may not know it. And he's going to make greater good out of the evil that, that happens. Right. right? So. And, and too, I, I, I know we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but sometimes those <laughs> multiple goods is a human good, like solving a problem, or sometimes it's, someone gets saved out of it uh, uh, or someone bad dies. Yeah. Maybe that's the thing. Yeah. So, wow. uh, you know, uh, yeah. the, the, the multiplicity of, of goodness uh, is, is the possibility within this one. Yeah. The third one then he uh, makes reference to here is what he calls the soul making theodicy. Oh. Right. Now this one uh, was uh, made famous by John Hick. Uh, a Christian philosopher, or at least he called himself a Christian. <laughs> um, the idea here is that humans are born in a state of immaturity and must experience pain and adversity in order to mature, right? So God is in the business of of uh, improving our souls kind of thing, right? The Bible indicates that suffering uh, resulting from various evil circumstances builds our character, right? And just as the fiery furnace purifies gold, Evil and suffering purify and strengthen the human soul. So this one is the soul-making theodicy. Why does evil exist? Well, because God is in the process of building our character and uh, strengthening our soul. Right? I, I know I've used this, uh, this example before, but I was like, it's uh, you're reading Lord of the Rings, and at the very beginning, uh, Frodo finds the ring, must take it to Mordor, and the eagles show up and take him. And the book's over in six pages. <laughs> Good. We've learned a lot. We've experienced it. The characters within the story have learned. We've learned after reading about it. Isn't that good that in four pages we learn that eagles fly? <laughs> no, no. That's the great thing about the story of Lord of the Rings. That yeah. happens in three books. That pain and suffering happen to these people, but they rise above it. And you see Samwise being the hero of the story. Not Frodo. It's always Samwise that's the, the hero <laughs> of the story. And, you know, if fanciful things and uh, people forming relationships and uh, elves and dwarves coming together and being friends and that, you know, that, so that, that's that idea is, is, is the, the purification of the story, the story of the, mm. of, of the human story of, of why it is, is because if everything's just hunky dory, then, you know, what it's is, kinda, what is yeah, there to learn? Kind of like making the, uh, the, the moth, making it easy for him to come out of his cocoon. Right? <laughs> right. He's not very strong. He's weak. He probably dies. Right. But if he has to struggle to get out of that cocoon and fight his way out and that sort of thing, uh, the moth is better right. for it. Right? But then in heaven, we don't have that struggle and we don't, it, it, heaven's worthless, right? Well, no, we're perfect when we get there. <laughs> <laughs> we can fly. There man. you go. <laughs> we are the moths. <laughs> Uh, the fifth one is called the best of all possible worlds defense. Yeah. So uh, kind yeah. of if, if uh, William Lane Craig is ringing in your ear, uh, this uh, best of all possible worlds is kind of a, a thing. Yeah, the uh, the German philosopher uh, Leibniz yeah. is the one that uh, really made this one popular. Right? Which <clears throat> makes sense because uh, Craig is a, a, a German studier. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, without a doubt, is probably where he got this from. <laughs> Uh, so uh, this uh, best of all possible worlds defense says an omnibelevant God would create only a world that was the best possible world that could exist. Yet this world is imperfect and full of undeniable evils. Therefore, those evils must be necessary for God to bring about subsequent goods that make this the best possible world. Right. So, so God is looking to save the most amount of people to minimize the most amount of pain, to maximize the most amount of pleasure. And he 
has certain computations that he can do while still having certain characteristics. Like he can't not exist. So, okay. So he makes a world where he's known. So uh, how about he's always directly experienced at every waking moment? Well, okay. That maximizes pleasure, but it doesn't, it doesn't bring about uh, uh, people's maximum uh, glory or or, or what what they can accomplish. And so they become uh, robots. Okay. So you, you, God changes enough of these variables that he fits the world in here. Here it is the best possible world out of all the other ones where he says, this is kind of almost the best that I can do uh, where he says, uh, this is all the factors that I want and go out into the world and, and go. Yeah. So, so yeah, good. So the idea here is that, and this is kind of a, a logical type of response, mm-hmm. right? We know that God is perfect. We know that he's, um, you know, I'm not benevolent. That means he's all good. Right. And so he would create the best possible world. Well, if the best possible world has evil in it, then uh, obviously that had to be part of what uh, the best possible world right. had to have in it, right? And so evil must be necessary for God to bring about, a, you know, a good uh, in that situation, yeah. right? And, so this is the best, the best overall. World. Yeah. Number six, he says he calls the divine judgment defense, right? Pain and suffering are the result of God's uh, retributive justice, right? And punishment of evildoers. Uh, It includes the everlasting judgment of hell. And so God comes out um, of uh, good, rather, comes out of judgment in the form of rehabilitation, deterrence, societal protection, and retribution, Right. right, the hope of ultimate divine justice readdresses the suffering of the innocent. So this one says, "Why does evil uh, happen? Well, because it allows God to punish. God punishes evil doers, right, including um, in everlasting judgment. And so good comes out of this judgment because people see other people being punished, are punished, and so they're deterred." from doing evil, right? Society is protected as folks band together to protect each other from this particular evil, right? And um, sometimes the person who does evil is rehabilitated, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, this is, uh, the, so evil has a kind of a good outcome in this situation as yeah. well, right? Yeah, the, the, the gangbanger who grows apart in the streets has killed somebody, uh, is is caught, goes to jail or flees, and then he he comes to know the Lord. He starts ministry. He affects uh, the youth of the of the streets and becomes the the pastor of the street kids. Yeah, or and, or or the person never repents, is always does wrong, and then God has to judge that person, right? right. And so that's when this is what this one is all about: divine judgment defense, right? God judges evil. All right. So what's the answer? Yeah. So those, those are the six that he goes through. Right. And so those are the six probably most important, uh, most, I don't know, famous, we might say, or yeah. most used in terms of defending of evil. There's probably, you know, degrees within that that people would add to or subtract from. Right. So he wants us next to look at his particular, right. the answer. He's going to give us the answer. You know, right? it's, it's not at the back of the book. It's at the front of the book. Yeah. That's where they, that's where they trick you. All the answers at the front. So he calls this the greater glory theodicy. The theodicy that he believes is most faithful to scripture is a specific version, specific version of the greater good theodicy. 
So that one is that uh, God has multiple good purposes for evil in the world. Out of such evil comes uh, the greater goods that could not otherwise come. These goods outweigh the evils that they overcome, and some good purposes are ascertained and some are not. So that's uh, a, a specific version that he's going to cover with modified traces of the best of all possible world so defense. He, so he kind of combines these two yeah. together, right? Uh, the greater own. good, the yeah, yeah. sea, and the uh, best of all possible right. worlds defense. All right. So, so uh, that, that's really the answer right yeah. now. He, he's going he's gonna to spend some time explaining that to right. us, but yeah. So it, it, God wants to make the best possible world, but he also wants to uh, carry out uh, good purposes within that evil. And mm-hmm. so he says that scripturally based, this is where... Um, uh, that it would be most presumptuous to, to follow. So he says, uh, rather, he offers a theodicy that speaks to resolve the broader issue of why evil exists in the first place. He calls it uh, the greater glory theodicy because it seeks to re- resolve the problem by examining what brings God the greatest glory. God's greatest glory is found in Christ's work of redemption. Right. And it, what happens is it points back to uh, God's characteristics, God's work in creation, and God's ultimate work in Christ at uh, at the cross. Right. So he says here that, you know, in offering this particular theodicy, that he's not suggesting that it solves every problem, right? right? Because obviously, as he mentions, that would be presumptuous, right? right? But he wants to solve the broad issue. That's what he talked about at the beginning, right? The broader issue of why evil exists in the first place. And so that's why he uses this. So what is this theodicy? How can we summarize it? Well, he gives us an argument. The answer and the the proof. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that. Page <laughs> six and art. seven. You're, you're yeah. there. You're there. So uh, an argument is, you know, premises that give us reasons to believe that a conclusion is true, mm-hmm. right? And so he's going to give us three premises and then the uh, conclusion. So this is his argument for his particular position, um, uh, his particular theodicy. First, uh, God's ultimate purpose in free, uh, freely creating the world is to Uh, supremely magnify the riches of his glory to all his creatures, especially human beings who alone bear his image, right? So God created the world for his glory. Second, God's glory is supremely uh, magnified in the atoning work of Christ, which is the sole means of accompanying or accomplishing redemption for human beings. So God created the world for his glory and it's supremely shown in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, right? But redemption is unnecessary unless human beings, number three, uh, have fallen into sin. Right. Right? Do you redeem if there's no sin to redeem? Yeah, right? And so, therefore, the fall of humanity is necessary to God's ultimate purpose in creating the world. So there it is, right? God uh, wants to magnify his glory. He uh, creates humans in order to do that. And the best way to magnify his glory, the greatest way to magnify his glory is uh, accomplishing redemption. You can't have redemption without the fall. And therefore, the fall of humanity is necessary to God's ultimate purpose in creating the world. Right. right. And so that's that's kind of his a summary of his theology or his theodicy. Rather. Right. right. His greater glory theodicy. Yeah. So he says the idea is simple. It's it's simply this. Uh, the fall of humanity was no mistake. It did not catch God by surprise. Why did God put Adam where he was, go off, put a tree there, say don't do it, if God is all-knowing? Well, it didn't catch God by surprise. That's right. Nor was it the result of Adam and Eve's free will, as most understand the term free will. They have the ability to do anything. If uh, they 
uh, are, are slightly nudged in any way, it's not a really free choice. Therefore, uh, free will has to be just kind of devoid of, of any interaction or encouragement by any, anything else. Okay. Uh, the fall was planned by God because it brings about the greater good of redemption. A fallen but being redeemed world is far better than an unfallen, not needing redemption world. Okay, well, that's a, a good premise to, uh, to try and support. Such a world brings greater glory to God. No better world seems possible. There's our, our, our best of all possible world. Right. No better world seems possible than one in which Christ's redemptive work brings such supreme glory to God. So it's, it's kind of this idea of um, how can we understand kind of the, the fullness of God? How can we as his creatures, how can God demonstrate that? Well, one of the, the characteristics of God is his justice, but it's also his grace, and it's also his redemption. And so how does he do that in an unfallen world? How does he provide justice for those who don't need justice? You know, walking along, and the thief doesn't rob you. Well, that judge <laughs> comes up and says nothing because he's not needed. But what happens if the robber comes up and robs you? The police come, take him away, hold him before the judge. Are you, are you guilty or innocent? Let's look at the... Uh, the two witnesses, two or three witnesses that come before, yes, guilty. Here's here's the punishment. <laughs> that that's what uh, shows God's justice within within that. Yeah, good. So you know that's kind of the idea of what he's trying to get at here. He says it should be clear that the theodicy that he offers is uh, commensurate with an evangelical and a broadly reformed understanding of scripture and theology. It opposes the uh, meticulous sovereignty of God. And it's, uh, it's radically theocentric, right? In other words, God, he says, is squarely at the center. In other, it's all about God, right? It's not about us and our free will or right. even the world that he created. It's all about God. So it's theocentric, mm-hmm. right? God-centric. He says the problem of evil is resolved by focusing attention not on some ill-directed notion of human free will and our autonomy and that sort of thing, but on how God's actions in creation and providence serve to maximize his own glory. Right. So this is a focus on God. So in the the rest of the book now, he kind of gives us a summary chapter by chapter of what or the rest of the chapter. Rather, Mm -hmm. he gives us a summary uh, uh, chapter by chapter. Uh, Shall we just hold off on that? Yeah, we better. Yep, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) We still have a lot to cover in the introduction, but it's because we just gave you the answer. Yeah. Well, we didn't give you the answer. That's right. We helped facilitate the answer. So. (laughs) Uh, we're not the Eagles. We're not there to get you to the, well, we got you at the beginning. So it's like we took the ring from Mortar and we're going back to the Shire. So that's what we're doing here. Uh, so yes, uh, join us next time as we conclude the introduction and uh, come to find out what to look for in the rest of the book. But I have questions. Uh, a lot of that didn't make sense. Guess what? That was the answer. Now we got to cover all the proofs for it. That's so, right. Yeah. So join us for the proofs of why we, uh, or why uh, Scott Christensen thinks that this is answering the question what about evil? Yeah. See you next time.